The Interim Leader podcast is brought to you by Odgers Interim, the UK's number one interim management provider. Hi, I'm Bambosteraklis and welcome to another media and entertainment episode of the Interim Leader podcast. Each month we take a look into a different part of the industry, unpicking current themes and trends with the help of guests and colleagues. Today we'll be looking at how the events of the last 12 months have begun to change the industry's approach to diversity and inclusion. What do we mean by DNI? Why is it desirable? And what practical steps are being taken to ensure that both the current pace and accountability for change are maintained? Shortly we'll be hearing from Addie Rawcliffe, the Group Director for Diversity and Inclusion at ITV. And later in the podcast, I'll be talking to my colleague Julie McKean about how businesses can work in partnership with the executive recruitment industry to build diverse boards and leadership teams. But first, I caught up with Sam Phillips, the former Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer for Omnicom Media, and now an interim executive who specializes in DNI focused assignments. I began by asking Sam what we mean by diversity and inclusion, and whether it's now time for DNI to have a voice and a place at the C-suite level. Diversity is literally, I think of it more as sort of uh, the facts, the stats uh, of who you've got. So uh, all the diverse groups. So you get things like gender, you get things like LGBT, disability, caring, age, race and ethnicity, clearly. There's a whole swathe of them. Uh, And thinking about diversity, you're thinking about those diverse groups of people. Inclusion is different. And to my mind, it's a more, uh, it's the more important uh, side of this equation uh, and it is do people feel like they are part of it do they feel like they belong It's another word that's coming through in the lexicon of dni at the moment uh, do people feel cared for uh, there's a famous expression now is diversity is, is being asked to the party inclusion is being asked to dance uh, and what you can find is that people are brought into a business or an organization uh, and they are there, but they are one of. They don't have others who are look, sound, feel, have their similar sort of uh, uh, upbringings, and they can feel uh, not part of it. And uh, we now know that people have to adapt their behaviours to uh, impact the norm. So is that inclusion? Do you want, as a business, everyone to bring them whole, their whole selves to work uh, or not? I think DNI has to become a C-suite priority, and the CEO himself or herself has to believe that this is a, a priority and has to lay out their expectations and stick to those expectations. It will be extraordinary to think that your business did not used to have uh, a quite significant uh, diversity and inclusion department that does not just work across workforce, the HRE side of things, but works across the whole piece. A business that has made DNI a C-suite priority is ITV who last September appointed Addie Rawcliffe to their executive board and in doing so became the first FTSE 100 company with a dedicated diversity and inclusion director with a seat at the top table. I was lucky enough to speak to Addie whilst recording this podcast and began by asking her about the background to her appointment. I guess what we felt at ITV was it was really important that diversity and inclusion was sitting at the top table. So it was impacting every discussion that we had at ITV. Um, And what I've noticed, I joined the management board in September 
I've noticed about how many things it intersects and how many discussions we have when I say, you know, have you thought about diversity and inclusion in that that area, whether it's about how we transition, how we work as we move to a different way of working, because of obviously the pandemic has meant that we're all you know continue to work in a different way or whether it's when you're going through organizational restructures whatever it is but it's amazing how often that the topic of diversity and inclusion is relevant to what we're discussing obviously program making decisions all that sort of stuff but my background is before I worked at ITV I worked for many years at Channel 4 and before that I was a producer and a commissioning editor so I come from a sort of creative program making background but I've been working in diversity and inclusion for over 10 years. I thought my work could be done by now, but I still haven't managed to work myself out of a job. Addy, can you tell us about ITV's Diversity Acceleration Plan and how it will embed DNI across the whole of the organisation? I have responsibility for diversity and inclusion, but one of the things that I always say is that I am responsible for sort of overseeing the strategy but clearly when you need to change a culture or to create a more inclusive culture everybody has their role to play so it's our team's role to help people embed it into their day-to-day job and their day-to-day processes because you know if I was head of sustainability and I was the only one recycling I wouldn't make any difference if everyone else was just continuing using single-use plastics so everyone has to work out what it is that they can do to influence um, an inclusive culture and to help to wake and make our workforce more representative of Britain both on screen and off so our diversity acceleration plan it has five sort of prongs to it and I think that when you're coming together with a strategy what I've noticed is the simpler the strategy the easier it is for people to follow so I think that everybody at ITV knows what our strategy is so I think that's really helpful and they knows what they know what it is we're trying to do so obviously senior appointments We've made appointments to our PLC board. We've made my appointment to the management board. We've made another appointment to our studios board. And we're sort of going to make some key strategic hires at senior level. And senior level really matters because those are the decision makers. So those are the people that influence the programmes we commission. Those are the people that influence who we hire in terms of our production processes. So it really matters that you have a diversity of voices and a diversity of thought at the top of the organisation. So clearly we are a creative business um, and more than ever in the mainstream media, we're dealing with disruption from other players. So more than ever, it's important that we have creative thought um, to solve some of the problems that we're dealing with. So that's the first thing. The second thing was very much around who's on screen. So clearly our shop window is what you see on ITV and we wanted that to reflect Britain. So we've made commitments particularly around um, who it is who is the main presenter on our shows. So we've made some really big plays in terms of our big shows like The Masked Singer, um, in terms of Britain's Got Talent, we replaced Ashley Banjo with, with Simon Cowell and we used Ashley Banjo over the summer. And obviously you know what happened with that with the Black Lives Matter dance and all these sorts of things. So it's putting people from ethnic minority backgrounds in key positions, in lead roles in dramas. That really, really matters. And we'd had some research from our viewers that they were sort of saying, we think it's brilliant that you include everybody, but what we really want to see is people in lead positions. We want to see them controlling the narrative. So that's the, the on-screen piece. And we were going to report on our diversity acceleration plan in July, and we've got data to show our progress against that. Um, and then the third thing was very much about um, how you, it was about, I don't know if this is an issue in the sectors that you work in, but one of the issues we've had in our industry is entry level has been okay, but it's retention and getting people to the senior positions, that has proved a problem. So we've made a commitment across ITV and across ITV studios to step people up to um, 
positions where they will be making a difference. So directors, writers, and we've had, we were using our sort of returning shows often, but also on new shows to give people, to give people from black and Asian and minority ethnic backgrounds, the opportunity to step up into those positions. So that's our step up 60. And we've promised to do 60 of those over the year. So we'll report back on those. And then the other thing is about using positive action at entry levels. So we've got a scheme for new entrants that we're running across our studios labels. We run an apprenticeship scheme for 60 young people, which, you know, the pandemic has been disastrous for the young. So giving opportunities to young people to come into the business really, really matters. And then finally, we realised that we need to educate ourselves. So it's really important as an organisation that we all understand what racism is, what ableism is, how we create an inclusive culture. So all leaders and managers have to go through inclusive leader training, inclusive hiring training, race fluency training, and we're rolling those out to the rest of the business. So that's our acceleration plan. So it's sort of five clear things which we can report on every year around our progress. But I think with 12 months, we will see an improvement. Can you talk through how the events of the last 12 months have impacted on diversity and inclusion? I think the pandemic highlighted inequality in our country in a sort of devastating way. Obviously, the murder of Floyd um, was another sort of horrific moment. And I think it meant that lots of people in our organisation, we had a really unusual experience in that lots of people came out with their lived experience in a very brave way that they hadn't before. And we were quite surprised and horrified. And, you know, it wasn't just things that happened on ITV. It was things that happened in their real lives. It was things that happened in the industry, but it was things that shouldn't have happened. And I think the courage of sharing that, as like I said, created a responsibility for organisations to really, really do what they say they're going to do. I mean, we, when you have things like that, people come out with lots of sort of measures and plans and things like that, but no one is going to be judged on your plans. We're going to be judged on our actions. So we will be judged on not what we say we're going to do. We will be judged on what we actually do and the change we make. And I think more than ever, we feel an urgency and a huge weight of responsibility, but also accountability. And I think one of the other things that it highlighted is the generational impatience. So I think younger people um, would only want to work for an organisation that cared about equality. The media industry is quite competitive across the board, and I guess so more when it comes to TV, and probably more now than ever before, uh, given the rise of global streamers like Netflix and Amazon. But all that aside, do you see that there's an opportunity for more collaboration and sharing of best practice when it comes to diversity and inclusion? We are competitive, but in diversity and inclusion, we don't need to be competitive because, you know, for lots of reasons. One is that we're trying to change an industry and a society. So I can't do it by myself. I need to work with others and others doing a similar work. So we work collaboratively through something called the Creative Diversity Network, the CDN. So we do that and we have a sort of on-screen measuring tool called Diamond. And, you know, my counterpart at the BBC is doing a whole thing around language and they've asked us to work with it on them. So, so yes, we can work collaboratively, but also we benefit. So in this space, Netflix being a disruptor benefits diverse talent because if they are working with people and they give people a platform, then of course that means that there are more people that have had opportunities and there are more places to go. So actually, I if I see Netflix doing something brilliant, I think it's just brilliant for the sector. And so I'm really happy to see people just getting stuff out there. So I think that we have a great opportunity 
to make the most of the talent that we have in this country because now there are more places for people to go. There's now a level of urgency, expectation and accountability around diversity inclusion that we've probably not seen before. Does this present any challenges and is there a worry that some of that momentum could tell off in time? Of course. I, I always worry about momentum because um, keeping momentum going is really, really hard because clearly improving diversity and inclusion is a long term journey. So you can't go, OK, we did that last year. Let's move on to something else. You've got to keep going and keep going. And it's hard work. So my job is to keep momentum going. So I'm really aware that is one of the biggest things that I can do. But one of the things that I think is helpful is to celebrate success along the way. So when you feel that you are making inroads, so ITV by how we stood by diversity and how we took out those ads in the newspapers, that changed our viewers' perception of us slightly. And so we were able to say to our organisation, look, we mean what we're saying, this is changing. So I think you have to celebrate points along the way, but it's a long game and it is hard work and we have to be honest about that. But yes, I mean, you know, there's a huge weight of responsibility and we have to keep the momentum going. But I also think that it's now at the stage where if we don't can keep the momentum going, it's so business crucial. I don't think it's a choice anymore. I don't think we've got a choice to ignore it and say, well, actually, we're not going to do that. I think that that will lead to us becoming dinosaurs and becoming less relevant. So I think it's absolutely at the heart of everything we do as broadcasters. And if we don't represent our audiences, our audiences have a choice now. When I was growing up, there was no choice. I used to have to sit watching, you know, three channels. And I remember the day Channel 4 came and I never saw anyone that looked like me. And if I did see someone look like me, um, then I absolutely couldn't believe it. And I'd get my sister down. And by the time she came down, it, they would have disappeared because we were absent from the screens. And now my kids aren't prepared to be absent. They'll go and watch something else. There's not only a demand for change, but a, a demand for speed of change as well. What will success look like two or three years from now? Yeah, I mean, I think there are clear indicators. So we have, we're good, we've got data of our workforce. So what our workforce looks like in terms of our data, and now we've even got our PLC board filling out diversity data. So we will know in the hard numbers in terms of, you know, what, um, who, who is at ITV. So who is in our senior leadership team, who's on our board, who's on our staff. So that would be an indication of success if they are near to how the population looks as a whole. Um, I think that, Eve, but I also think that the power we have of broadcasters, I would like people to be watching our programmes and loving them and thinking, actually, you're telling my story or I'm learning something about another group of people and it's really connecting with me. So I would like to see more of that, which is a feeling and is less measurable, but I think it really matters. And I also think as an organisation, I would like people who work there or who work with us to all feel equally included and to feel that they can bring their real self to work. And we're doing a whole load of surveys around that and sort of trying to measure inclusivity to see whether what we're doing impacts on how people feel about working at ITV and what opportunities they feel they have. As Addie mentioned, the recruitment of staff at all levels is crucial to the success of any DNI improvement plan. As executive recruiters, our industry therefore has an important part to play. My colleague Julie McKean leads on executive search appointments for Odgers Burnson. Here she is talking about how we can work in partnership with clients to meet their objectives around diversity and inclusion. I think in order to really drive proper inclusivity in diverse lists 
of shortlisted candidates. We really have to do a proper partnership with our clients. I think what's happened in the last year or so is that diversity and inclusivity have become quite rightfully very, very firmly at the top of C-suite agendas in our clients. But it's easy to talk about this stuff. And it's really important that we as a as a practice, as an organisation, as, as an industry, actually work out how to practically ensure that we're leveraging our global networks and that we're going further um, to strip out unconscious bias in ourselves and in our clients and to challenge our clients to work with us to deliver a shortlist which is truly inclusive. And I think there are a number of ways in which we can look at doing this. You know, there are models in California, for example, of stripping out current salaries in shortlists because that has been shown to contribute to unconscious bias against, particularly against women who've been underpaid traditionally. But I'm sure there is also certainly a kind of a, a pay gap across across diversity that, that that could look at in some cases. There's also the opportunity to really talk to our clients about how perhaps if they're not particularly diverse, especially with Zoom interviews, how do you make the experience of interview truly inclusive? How do you encourage people who perhaps, if we're looking at neurodiversity, are not naturally extrovert. They might be a very different type of person. So this might be an unusual thing for them to get on a, on a screen with five people who are grilling them. There's all sorts of aspects that we need to work, I think, really collaboratively with our clients on. And I don't think it's good enough for anybody, both on our side or our client partners, to say we want to see a diverse list and not really dig into how we make sure that it's not just about having names on pieces of paper. It's about having the best people from the broadest possible pool. And then importantly, enabling a genuinely level playing field so that their potential can come through an interview. So I think it starts at the very beginning, but it goes all the way through and it even goes beyond the hire to when we're talking to our, our placed candidate and ensuring that they've got the support that they were promised in the first place. Julie, sometimes you recruit to individual roles and other times you're asked to help recruit entire management teams. Why is it important for businesses to recruit with diversity of thought in mind? It's a really good question. It's actually not one that we get asked enough, I think, actually. We do have to drive the agenda sometimes on that because I think it is absolutely natural that a board group of people might look at each other and think, we don't have a, a lot of, let's call it sort of externally obvious cues of diversity within our team, and we need to address that. And that's absolutely right and proper that they do. But the diversity of thought question is, is, is something that perhaps isn't quite as immediately obvious. And we need to, you know, perhaps work with our boards to ask them some difficult questions. You know, are, have you been traditionally hiring in your own image? You know, phrases like culture fit are quite dangerous in this context, but have been, you know, very commonly used by both our industry and by our clients historically. And that can hide a multitude of, of issues. And I think when we're looking at a board makeup, you really need to be looking at not just diverse skills, but diverse attitudes, 
life experiences because it has been proven that that will make a commercial difference to that company and that corporation. It's not just something that people ought to do. It genuinely does make a positive impact on commercial on the commercial side of their business. So taking our time to get to know what skills and attitudes and um, diversity of thought around the board table already exists and actually looking at, you know, here's here's the makeup of the people you currently have. Here, here's how they skew in terms of the way in which they think. Then we can have a very open and honest conversation about what kind of other people that we might bring in, what, what are their skills, but also what are the ways in which they approach business. When we look at then bringing people to them, we need to keep holding the client's hand and working on, this is not hiring in your own image. This is, let's remember, this is a complementary group of people who all bring something different to the party and, and critically make the whole more than the sum of the parts. So that's when in a board makeup, that's what we should be looking at. From an interim management perspective, it's been noticeable in recent months how many clients have inquired about appointing interim directors of DNI or asking interims to undertake DNI reviews. Sam Phillips has recently started an interim role with a sports governing body, and I asked her how interim executives can help businesses refresh their commitment to diversity and inclusion. I think that what you need to actually understand, a lot of businesses need to understand, is what is going on in their business. Uh, in terms of diversity and inclusion. And to do that, you've got to have measurements, for example, uh, to start off with. That's absolutely key. Uh, and most businesses, uh, I would hazard a guess um, from my experience, I don't think it was unusual, uh, have uh, they'll be able to tell you very clearly um, the age of the people across their business and uh, the gender. There might be some supposition within that. But in terms of everything else, uh, probably not. Uh, even on things like race and ethnicity, there you know people haven't filled out the forms very correctly to start off with. Then, then, then you're not going to know, and there'll be some guesswork uh, involved. But to get that data, to get that information, you need something which is hugely important, which is trust. And a lot of these things that we're talking about when we come to diversity and inclusion are invisible. Uh, Seventy to eighty percent of disabilities, for example, are invisible. So people don't want you to tell, don't want to tell you about them because. Uh, they feel for whatever reason, something dastardly might happen, they don't have that trust, then they're not going to tell you, therefore you don't have that that, that knowledge. So uh, when I say the CEO, the C-suite has to do this and really get this, it has to be, it's not a one-off and you're done. This is long-term, ongoing commitment. People are terrified of getting this stuff wrong, leaders. Uh, so for want of knowing exactly what to do, because it's scary and uh, they haven't, they don't know how to talk to, I don't know, a person with a disability or whatever else, or they don't even know that they're saying something wrong, sometimes better they think to say nothing. But the impact of that is the dials do not move. Uh, and we've seen that in the industry, for example, the IPAs uh, surveys for the last few years. You can see that the numbers of people, for example, uh, who are non-white British in, in leadership uh, are, are not moving. They are literally, the scales aren't moving, despite everyone putting all sorts of initiatives and this sort of thing in place. Um, this stuff has to become cultural. It has to become real. It needs to become measured. I've talked about some measurements, but we've got to start moving towards things like KPIs uh, as well. Uh, and then looking at potentially at uh, different departments, KPIs, and saying, well, okay, well, you're saying it's not possible, but they've done it over there uh, and all that sort of thing. And I think in terms of people's, just how they approach diversity and inclusion, 
and this is really hard for people that often if they've got to leadership, they think they know the answers, or they at least want people to think that they know all the answers. But actually what uh, leaders have to show here is a process of unlearning, of unpicking, of realizing that many of the things that they truly believed were right are actually incorrect or nuanced or biased or whatever it might be. And we've got to start seeing action. We've got to start seeing, for example, more people who are not white on the boards of this company. We've got to see more leaders talking maybe about their disabilities. You know, an awful lot of leaders have got disabilities, but four in five of people on boards who've got disabilities don't talk about them. Well, if they started talking about them and you started opening up that conversation, then you can actually start to properly think about getting people into the business with disabilities and people being more open. Finally, Sam, where would you like to see diversity and inclusion in three years' time? Okay, I'll start with the metrics because we would actually see uh, um, uh, uplifts um, across all of the diverse uh, diversity measures. My personal uh, belief is that businesses uh, should be reflective of the population uh, of the country or the continent or whatever it is that they're working across. And that is in terms of workforce and that is in terms of product outputs, marketing, whatever it might be. I think also, um, yeah, it comes back to measurement, but the, the good businesses won't just measure the diversity, they will measure the inclusion. So you will actually be able to understand from people within those diverse communities as well, whether or not they do feel part of it, they do feel included, whether they think the outputs of their business, for example, are reflective of, of them, whether they feel heard. Um, uh, I think that is, is genuine key. And I think there will be some other outputs and things as we, uh, I don't know, as, as, as this, this nascent department professionalizes. Um, things like, you know, annual reports uh, actually saying this is where we were with full candor and honesty and building trust and this is where we are. Uh, we've got it wrong, we've got it right. I think Channel 4 is a great example at the moment in terms of, you know, uh, they say when they are way off on something or when they've discovered a, a particular issue, they'll talk about it. And I think that level of honesty and trust is, is, is absolutely key. Netflix, I don't know if you've seen it, they've just done a brilliant annual report, which uh, not only tells their story really well across all areas, not just workforce, product, et cetera, but also visualizes it in such an extraordinarily brilliant way using their own medium of, 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 of you know, video, TV, et cetera. So, uh, and I think we will hopefully, uh, you know, success will hopefully also mean that you can look around a boardroom and not just see people who look like you, who have been brought in because they fit, but people who are different, who, and, you know, and your boardroom conversations might just be a bit spikier, but through that, you will get better work. You will get better commercial returns. And as I said, I think the companies that take these tricky leaps earlier and uh, make DNI more core to their organization and their strategy will be the ones that win out because the world is a changing. A big thank you to Sam, Addy, and Judy for contributing to the podcast. I really hope you enjoyed listening and don't forget to like and subscribe for new episodes in our media and entertainment series.